the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, uh, a very good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA and Peter Vlahos with you. Thanks to Kia's uh, Epic Range, uh, the Kia Sportage, Celtox, Celtos and EV6 GT and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. Now, creating greats are saying Glenn Maxwell's stunning 201 against Afghanistan is the greatest one-day international innings of all time. And the first uh, half of the program will be focusing on that great individual feat. If you can recall another individual sporting feat that has you in awe, as many people are in awe after what they witnessed last night, those people that were lucky enough to beat the ground in Mumbai, and for those that certainly witnessed it from uh, maybe their lounge chairs viewing it last night fairly late in the eastern states and a reasonable time here in western australia love to get your thoughts on that can you rival anything from an individual point of view than what we saw last night seven for 91 they were and then maxwell comes in and clobbers 201 uh, joining us is daniel churney from code sports he's in india and daniel thanks for your time Oh, pleasure to be with you, Peter. You must be a very fortunate man to think that you witnessed that last night. Uh, yeah, no, you, you have to realise how lucky you are when you see something like that. I mean, to be here at all is, is a great privilege, but particularly when you witness uh, one of those moments or one of those individual performances which will linger long in the memory, and certainly that was, that was last night. Uh, I heard your discussion just a moment ago, and uh, I, think, uh, I don't think there's an argument against... Uh, it's very hard to make an argument that this wasn't uh, the greatest one international batting performance, but certainly by an Australian and, and quite possibly by anyone ever. It's uh, just given the circumstances, um, the drama, uh, the, the nature of the physical afflictions and uh, and just the, the sheer substance and, and style, it was uh, just pretty hard to top. Really, Australia shouldn't have won that game. They were seven for 91, huge backs to the wall. We know Maxwell was dropped early. It was a dolly of a chance that went down. But uh, once that chance went down, all of a sudden, uh, fortune favoured the brave, didn't it? Which was Glenn Maxwell. Uh, you're right, Peter. And it was a bit like a, uh, a switch flicked in, in Maxwell after that. He sort of almost acknowledged as much. Also, he survived a, uh, a very narrow LBW decision on 27. He'd been dropped on 24, and even first ball, he was uh, only an inch or so away from, from being out. So there were a few nervous moments in the first uh, first part of his innings, but I, I think once he had gotten through that, he realised, i just got to take it on here. Um, let, let's, let's attack. And, uh, and, you know, clearly that paid off um, very well because, you know, from there, he just started playing these extraordinary shots and um, made... Incredible history with uh, with Pat Cummins down the other end having front row seat. Just amazing. As we mentioned, he uh, turned the whole game around. Saying that, what was the atmosphere inside the stadium last night? Yeah, it was. Um, no, it was really good. Uh, it was obviously just a very exciting night to, to be at the ground. Uh, 
I think probably the, the mood changed uh, as the game wore on. I think overall there was more, more support for Afghanistan, perhaps as the underdog. There are actually quite a few Afghan supporters there as well in traditional Afghan garb. Um, but then as the game wore on, I think everyone just sort of was astonished by Maxwell's performance. And, and, and he's such a popular player wherever he goes. Uh, and, and the sentiment was very strong towards him. So, no, just, uh, yeah, an incredible atmosphere and uh, um, and to match a, an astonishing performance. Saying that, it was a great performance by Afghanistan, wasn't it? They've been the real surprise packets of this World Cup. Um, um, uh, yeah, no, they, they certainly have been, um, Peter. It was... Um, sorry, Max, give me one, one moment. Yeah, no worries. Just uh, do what you need to do. <laughs> It's Sorry, all good. I was just getting into an Uber. All right, get <laughs> um, in. Now, no. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports, we're having a chat too. He's live in India. He was there last night to oh. experience Glenn Maxwell's Herculean performance. We we're talking about Afghanistan, and uh, they've been the surprise packet of the tournament. Yeah, no, sorry, got, got you all good now. Um, no, uh, they have been, and uh, a magnificent effort from them throughout this tournament to, to date. Um, you know, you really felt for them because they played so well. Uh, Ibrahim Zadran making the first ever World Cup century for them. I mean, that, look, they don't that in a particularly exciting manner, it has to be said. There's certainly no Glenn Maxwell. Well, Rashid Khan can black him, but there's no real uh, Glenn Maxwells in that in that Afghanistan side. Not that there's many Glenn Maxwells anywhere, but they just play within their within their capacity and, um, and play to their strength and mitigate their weaknesses and have consistently made some pretty competitive and solid scores. And their bowling is so strong, they've been able to regularly defend or, or, or chase um, chase totals. But, you know, they play in the image of their coach, Jonathan Trott, the former England batter, who was, you know, pretty dour sort of player, but a very effective uh, and efficient player by the same token. Uh, and we saw that last night. Uh, you know, they were all over Australia. I mean, you probably think with Afghanistan that it's going to be the spinners that they're going to get you with uh, with uh, Rashid Khan and Majid and Noor Ahmed and, and Mohamed Nabi. And, and in the end, it was um, Naveen Al-Haq, uh, who'd had a few interesting things to say in the lead-up to the game about Australia's decision to pull out of the series earlier this year that did the, did the damage up the top um, and then Azmat with, uh, with, some, with some scalps as well and uh, Australia were, were you know, reeling there on the back of, of the pace and the swing and then there was the run out and then Rashid started getting into it as well and, and Australia was, uh, was clearly just about gone. I mean, I think Crick Info had their chances of winning at, at 0.2%, um, at 7 to 91. It just, you know, teams just don't win from there. Uh, and obviously, there's a few... But they, look, they, they probably lost a bit of um, composure there with the ball towards the end. They were probably giving, making it a bit too easy for Maxwell bowling towards his hitting zones and, and try, not, not forcing him to move around the crease enough given his, his uh, affliction there towards the end. But we also have to feel for them because this is a once-in-a-lifetime performance from Glenn Maxwell and, um, you know, not 199 times out of 200 you win that game. Mm. Well, he didn't suffer from any concussion after falling off the back of a golf cart as well. It's probably done him a lot of good because uh, that last night, as I said, was just uh, sensational. Saying that, how do you appraise Australia and where they sit ahead of a semi-final against South Africa? Overall, last night, they were disappointing, apart from Maxwell's heroics, but they have won six on the trot, and you can't ignore form. No, it's, it is a difficult one in that respect because clearly they were. It, it was. A, it took. It took a probably a once in a lifetime performance. And you know, not that Maxwell hasn't played innings somewhat like this in the past. I mean, he played some, something like this two weeks ago in the Netherlands. But uh, this was that next level altogether. 
but you know, without him, clearly they lose that match and lose it by a lot. And you know, he could have all, all also been out a couple of times as well. Um, and, and they lose by 170 runs, and, and it's a very different conversation today. Um, look, having, having said that, uh, that is also the nature of, of white ball batting. You know, you, you have your good days and your bad. Um, they've got some high-risk, high-reward players at the top of the order there. Um, Mitch Marsh, Travis Head, David Warner, none of them paid off. Steve Smith's out with vertigo, or was out with vertigo. Um, so, and the bowling is... is has been a bit hit and miss too throughout the tournament. I, I think they've been, you know, Adam Zambas had a magnificent campaign. Mitchell Stark as well. Uh, uh, Mitchell Stark though is, is struggling. Um, he's been spraying it a bit. Hasn't been able to take the, the wickets up front. And I, I think they need more from him. Uh, I think if they're going to win this tournament, if they're going to win a couple of knockout finals. They're going to need Mitchell Stark. He doesn't need to be quite what he was in 2015 and 2019, but he's, he's going to need to not be going at sixes and sevens and or sevens and eights really and over and just take one or two up front, um, because otherwise I just think it leaves too much to the others. Uh, Josh Hazelwood's having a, a pretty good campaign. It was impressive again yesterday. Pat Cummins has been pretty solid through the middle overs and, and obviously has played some really handy batting innings as well, a varying style and substance. I mean, he, he had 37 off 14 against New Zealand and then 12 off 68 last night, but he shows that he, he can uh, really play through all the gears. So there are some worries. I think Josh Inglis is, is just going there, having replaced Alex Carey, Marcus Stoinis. I think he's just hanging on to his place as well. So they're not, they're not firing at all cylinders, but by the same token, when you win six in a row, um, you know, you, they've given themselves a good chance. They've got South Africa in the semi-final now, and uh, and, and they're, they're in, in the hunt. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, a couple of final questions before you let you go, Daniel. India, on the other hand, many people are saying you beat India and you'll win the World Cup. Uh, they are just flying eight consecutive wins. Uh, they're already locked away in a semi-final. They seem hard to beat at home, and I gather the locals are just loving it. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, it's, uh, we all know the passion of, uh, of Indian cricket fans and, and um, how, how devoted they are and obsessed. And, and you, know, you see it here. You know, you get into... It, the matches are on TV everywhere you go. Uh, any, any restaurant or cafe, it's always on, and... Um, I've, I've got into a couple of Ubers while India are playing, and uh, I'm looking at them in one right now, and, and you see um, the drivers have, have the TV on in the front seat, <laughs> have it on their uh, on their phone uh, watching the game. It's just that level of, of passion. But now they are playing brilliantly, and I think historically with India, we've thought of them as a great batting nation, and and, and their spinners have been a danger. But they're quick, so they're, and not to say that their batting spinning is spin isn't very good, but their pace bowling has been so good with. Mohamed Shami, who remarkably started the tournament outside the team. Jasper Bumrah back and firing. Mohamed Suraj as well. Uh, they really want for nothing. I think they're clearly the best side in it. Um, on form, they win it. But, uh, you know, it only takes one day from another team for them to have an off day or another, or someone like Glenn Maxwell or Heinrich Parsons in South Africa or whoever it is to fire, and, uh, and they can be eliminated. So the margins are fine once you come to knockout stages of a World Cup. And, uh, and that's why uh, we're watching towards right to the end. So we're watching England do battle with the Netherlands at the moment, while Afghanistan have been the surprise package. Gee whiz, you can't believe that England uh, are set to finish bottom of the 10-team World Cup. Wouldn't have been a shock if the Netherlands beat them, and that's not out of the uh, realms of possibility, considering how England have travelled in this tournament. What's been the feedback from the British press? Well, I think the remarkable thing is it wouldn't be that much of a shock now if the Netherlands beat England, given what we've seen so far in the tournament and how poor England have been. Oh, they, they were better against Australia the other day. But um, 
No, look, oh, look, it's just huge disappointment <clears throat> from from England and the fans and, and the media have gone pretty hard as, as you'd expect. Um, just you know, obviously, uh, very little has gone right. Um, I think there's been questions about the about the planning for the tournament. Have they paid enough attention to one day cricket? Clearly, injuries are bitten as well, and, and they're missing Jofra Archer. Uh, so many of their batters are out of form, um, and maybe they put too many eggs into the test cricket basket and maybe it shows that you just can't get, get it all right. There's pressure on the coach, Matthew Mott, the Australian, uh, who, uh, who was so successful with the Australian women's team. But now, all in all, it's been a bit of a debacle, but they, they, there's still a fair bit for them to play for because um, it emerged in the last week or two that uh, this is a also a Champions Trophy qualifier this World Cup. They've got to finish in the top eight to make it to that event in 2025. So if they finish in the bottom two, they're going to miss out on the second biggest one-day tournament on the calendar. Uh, which would be quite an embarrassment. So, despite the fact that they're clearly done um, from a from a semi-finals perspective, there's still a bit for them to play for over the, their last couple of games, starting today against Netherlands. Good on you, Daniel. Thanks for joining us, mate. There from India. Is that the first time you've been to the subcontinent? Uh, yeah, first time to India. I have been to. I did actually do a tour of Bangladesh in 2017, which is uh, also an eye-opening experience. But yeah. uh, first time in India, and it's been uh, it's been full on, but uh, but wonderful. Yeah, you, if, uh, it's, a, it's a country of uh, just amazing experiences, isn't it, India? They're everywhere you turn, it's just an eye-opening. There's so many different uh, sides to India that is quite amazing, and cricket being, of course, one of them as well. Thanks for joining us, mate. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Let's hope Australia stay in and make it to the final. Uh, no worries, Peter. Fingers crossed and, and good to chat. Good on you. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports there live in India. It is a fascinating country. Don't worry about that. All right, we're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to relive uh, the Glenn Maxwell innings. As we go to the break, these are the winning runs. How he hit them last night and got Australia over the line to make it six straight wins and Australia booking a semi-final berth against South Africa. Glenn Maxwell, 201 off 128 balls, 21 fours and 10 sixes. Everybody here is on their feet. All-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Of course, the uh, chat there with uh, Daniel Churney. Thanks to Chats with Mates. Uh, Mate, fair dinkum internet without the fuss. And it's all been about Glenn Maxwell, hasn't it, really, today? And just having a look at some of the details, as I mentioned, a stunning 201, the greatest ODI knock of all time, without any doubt, according to former England skipper Michael Vaughan. He said that on the BBC. I've never seen anything like that. Australia have no right at all to win that game, according to Michael Vaughan. Indian great Sachin Tendulkar crowned it the best ODI knock I've seen in my life, one of numerous greats that have hailed it as much. Aside from leading Australia to that incredible victory, Maxwell roused himself, uh, Tyson Fury-like, off the canvas to do it after suffering cramps midway through the innings only adds to the mystique. Let's have a look at a Glenn Maxwell highlights package of what transpired last night. Thanks to mate... Score a mobile deal as good as a Sam Kerr worldie 
with mate. Another boundary to Maxwell through mid-wicket. He's decided it might be his night. And straight into the gap from Maxwell. When he's on, he just needs to do it so easily. 100 for Maxwell. His second of this World Cup. Oh, he's played that on one leg. How he's played that on one leg, he may only be the one to tell you. me where do you get that from this is not natural it is far from that pressures that through the offside for four more they won't stop that either you know what's going to happen he's 195 maxwell a six to bring up 200 and win the game everybody here's on their feet and maxwell hits it high can it make it How are you doing? Horrific. <laughs> I feel shocking. Um, I feel like I've had those types of innings before um, where I've given a chance and um, I haven't made the most of it. So to make the most of it and go on with it tonight is probably the most pleasing thing. But, um, yeah, to see it out, be, be not out with Paddy at the end is, is something I'm really proud of. Well, the play numbers of Maxwell's knock are absolutely bonkers, really. Scoring 201 runs from just 128 balls, 21 fours, 10 sixes. And Maxwell's innings was the 11th ODI double century scored by a man in history and 13th overall. Incredibly, Maxwell's uh, the only double century to be scored in the second innings of a match. Uh, it's the highest ever score by an Australian man in ODI cricket. Second only to Belinda Clark's unbeaten 229 against the Netherlands at the 1997 Women's Cricket World Cup, which coincidentally also took place in Mumbai. With Maxwell's runs coming off just 128 balls, his strike rate of 157.03 is second only to Indian wicketkeeper Ishan Kishan, 160.30 for the highest strike rate of any of those double tons by a man. Quite incredible when you look at what he achieved. And this is what Pat Cummings, the captain of the Australian cricket team, had to say regarding Glenn Maxwell's heroics. Yeah, I think that's the greatest ODI innings. I mean, I've ever seen. It's probably the greatest ODI innings ever. Um, yeah, we're just chatting about it off, you know, all the players, and we're just like, it's one of those days where you just go, I was there in the stadium the day Glenn Maxwell chased down that total by himself. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure he'd be fine. He was, he's cramping, but I think you saw out there, you know, how much he loves playing for, for Australia and do anything to, to play. So I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he will be. Uh, he's probably a bit dehydrated, a bit sore, but uh, he's got a bit of time to get over it. And uh, he'll go into the semi-final against South Africa as such an important player for Australia. Just uh, some other news for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. Storm Hunter, we mentioned it last night with Brett Phillips. Well, she's declared a pride at stepping off a plane and straight onto a court to breathe life into Australia's ailing Billie Jean King Cup campaign. She flew into Seville from Cancun after contesting the doubles at the WTA finals, arriving just 90 minutes before the tie started. 
Now, the world number one doubles player overcame both jet lag and the loss of her luggage, would you believe, to win a potentially crucial point for an Australian side that has already lost both singles to Slovenia. Now, it gave the Aussies a priceless lifeline despite losing their opening tie 2-1, but keeping alive their slim chances of reaching the semi-finals. Australia must now beat Kazakhstan, which includes Wimbledon 2022 champion Elena Rybakina on Thursday, while hoping that Kazakhstan then defeats Slovenia on Friday. So that's where it sits regarding the tennis. Just regarding uh, some other big sport that's coming here to Perth, everybody is getting charged up about the biggest pro wrestling show in Australian history. Now, it's looming, the WWE Elimination Chamber. It's happening here in Perth. Now, with the global grabbling Vermont has previously held a show at the MCG, next February's 24, it was on February 24, the spectacular here in WA, will be the most important WWE has ever held down under, given the stakes of the show itself. So it's a huge card. By the way, the pre-sale is already underway. Tickets are being snapped up. And the general on sale for people interested in going along, just letting you know, begins this Friday, November the 10th from Ticketmaster. Okay. Uh, The pre-sale going gangbusters. General on sale begins this Friday, November 10 from Ticketmaster. This is the big WWE Elimination Chamber. And it's being held here in Perth, Western Australia at Optus Stadium, February 24. And let me tell you, Optus Stadium will be going off. Just in some footy news, we know that the Western Bulldogs captain, Marcus Bontempelli, actually has undergone an ankle surgery uh, during the off-season, a very important part of uh, the Bulldogs' chances of resurrecting their season after disappointing 2023 in 2024. He was with Sam Edmund, and this is what he had to say regarding his ankle. It's lucky that we've got nice wide openings and clear access because the Bonds uh-huh. come in with a bit of work having been well, done and he's on the crutch. Yeah, no, let's sort that out because we've got four journalists on the phone at the moment want to know what's <laughs> going on. What's happened? Oh, yeah, I better move to uh, ease everyone's tensions or mm. concerns. Uh, just a little uh, ankle clean out. Um, so got through the season and and, and whatnot pretty good. Um, and then just had, had my break, um, started to train, just noticed a few little signs, a little bit of swelling. It was... Staying, you know, I guess a little bit angry post session. So since coming back from my little off season trip, we just decided better to act now and avoid pushing it into the the preseason and, and season. Um, going for a little tidy up, but uh, should still be well and truly on track to, to get things going once we're back uh, on the twenty seventh of November. So just a little arthroscope, take out some foreign bodies. Yep. I think is the technical term, uh, Phil Marshall, and um, you should be right and ready to go. That's it. That's it. No, no big concern here. Just uh, yes, better act sooner mm. rather than later, and then move past it and get going. So walking again properly, boy. Should be by the end of the week. That, that's the hope. Oh, um, he's, oh no, he's, sorry, you've Gary. got me pretty fresh. So we had a big you've got story. Me pretty there. fresh. Um, <laughs> I only you, had it two days ago. He's done well to re- uh, uh, cram it in. There you go, Marcus Bontempelli, one of the stars of the AFL, with Sam Edmund and Gary Lyon on SEN in Melbourne. After the break, uh, Mark Bosnich is going to join us. He spoke to Julian De Stoop about what was a uh, very big Champions League program last night. Newcastle going down to Dortmund by two goals to nil. Celtic got hammered 6-0, the Scottish champions uh, in Spain. 
and Manchester City had a pretty good win as well. So he talks everything football with Julian De Stoop. Uh, that comes up after the break. Uh, don't go away. This is Sports Day WA. Thanks to Kia's Epic Range and also Toolmart, the complete tool centre. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. Thanks to Kia's Epic Range, the Kia Sportage Seltos, an EV6 GT, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Uh, let's uh, now hear from Julian De Stoop from SEN in Melbourne. He caught up with uh, former Manchester United goalkeeper and now part of the Stan Sports team about what was a big night of Champions League action last night. He also reflected on what was a crazy Monday night in the English Premier League between Tottenham and Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea beating Ange Postacoglu's Spurs by four goals to one. And as we know, Spurs had two players sent off. Jules did ask Bozza had he seen more a crazier game than that. <laughs> uh, yes and no. It was unbelievable entertainment. There's no doubt about that. But um, I, look, I, I'm mad a little bit, obviously, because I want, you know, even though it's my club Chelsea, I want Ange to do as well as possible. But I actually thought that they were absolutely cruising uh, until Sergio Romero had a, uh, I don't know, brain snap, and and I, I thought it was completely wrong what he did, um, going straight through and coming on the top of of the Chelsea player. I don't know if it was Kovacic or no, somebody will correct me about that. And then from uh, that Fernandez, moment, yeah, about, yes, right, yeah, Fernandez. And then from that moment, for me, it was only one team that was going to win, and then to and Doggy to do that as well after he was very fortunate to stay on the pitch uh, was another brain snap uh, to get sent off and. Really, in the end, it could have been an absolute mountain of goals. You have to give credit to, to Tottenham in, in, in one way uh, because they kept trying to, to get an equaliser when it was 2-1 and Son had that wonderful chance before Chelsea got the third goal. But really, if Chelsea had their shooting boots on, the game would have been well and truly over you know, half an hour earlier. So, you know, Ange really well and you, you're spot on. I mean, a doggy was very lucky not to be dismissed for that studs-up challenge. Yeah. Five minutes before being sent off, Romero kicked out needlessly. What would he yeah. say to those two players behind closed doors? Well, as well as you know somebody, you don't know unless you're there. Um, I would have hoped, uh, I, I'm sure that Romero would have got a private word, that, that, no doubt about that, but that perhaps couldn't wait for after the game. But uh, I'm quite certain, uh, and I, I, uh, you know, if anyone can correct me if, if I'm wrong because I wasn't there, but I'm quite certain surely he would have said something to Ndoggi to, at half time to say, mm. listen, mate, you're lucky to be on. Just be, you know, just be careful. And if he did say that and the player didn't listen to him, that's not really a good thing either. And I don't know why they wouldn't because things have gone so well for them before yesterday, you have to say. Yes, they've rode their luck in many games. They've had decisions go for them. Um, the Liverpool one comes to mind. Um, but, and you know, your luck does run out. There is times when decisions then sort of go the other way as well. But, you know, like I said, in terms of, you know, his instructions and the way they've played and everything has gone to plan. So why he would do that, um, the only thing I could think of, like I said, he's had a, he had a momentary brain snap. There was a big game. It's a London derby. Chelsea versus Spurs is always a huge game. And, and to be fair, Spurs haven't had a great record against Chelsea for a long, long time. But um, they're, they're going to be up against it now because Ndoggi and Romero is obviously out. 
Uh, Van de Ven, uh, the the centre back pulled a hamstring. Madison could be out. Um, it's it's it was always going to come. The test with suspensions and, and injuries, which which have had. Uh, we haven't really seen, like I said, a major loss of form yet. But they got Wolves away this weekend, uh, so that's going to be a massive test of all their resilience. And you do get that in a 38-game season when you go through times where. You've just got to do the very best you can to scrape as many points as you can because and hopefully turn things around as soon as possible. So Spurs got cheered off despite losing 4-1, which you'll never see when you yeah. lose to an arch enemy like <laughs> Chelsea. Most of the pundits over there have been full of praise with the fact that Ange kept playing the same way, kept playing with the high line. And look, at 2-1 down with nine men, they had three chances to equalise. But does he have to be a bit more conservative in the short term? I mean, he's going to have three of his starting four defenders out for the game against yeah. Wolves, as you mentioned. Van der Ven is lightning quick. Eric Dyer comes in. He's not quick. So does he have to be a bit more conservative with how he defends just in the short term while he's got these players out? Uh, well, look, the high line I thought was too high, whether or not mm. they had nine players or 11 players. I, I don't think that was more what Ange was referring to and more where the cheers come. I think the cheers and what Ange is referring to is and, and, you know, for all his strengths, adaptability is not one forte that Ange really takes on board. I always remember asking him uh, once, you know, about the local game, you know, what's your plan B if plan A doesn't work? And he said, basically, to do plan A better. The cheers and, and I think the praise uh, that they got from Ange is the fact that they kept attacking. The high line was too high. It was ridiculous. Now, uh, it, look, you don't. Ha- you know, people always think the automatic thing is if you haven't got pressure on the ball, you can't play a high line. You can if you've got very quick uh, centre backs uh, that can that can basically cover back if the ball goes over the top, and you have people running with the opposition midfield players who come from deep. But on the halfway line, like they were doing in the second half, regardless if it's ten or eleven men, you are playing Russian roulette. There's no doubt about that. But the, the, the praise uh, that I would praise Ange for and, and what people, I think, were, were getting to it, it sort of got muff, muffled a little bit, sort of muddied, it was the fact that they kept on going to have a goal at them mm. and Son really, you know, nearly really went and scored. Majority of teams will just sort of sit back and defend and not go the other way, whereas Tottenham did. And like it's on another day, I mean, the game should have been over. There's no doubt about that. It should have been over well long before it was. Chelsea haven't been having a great time this season either. But the fact that they kept on going to score, to go for the equaliser, that's where the praise come in. The criticism of the high line is justified because, like I said, that was just Russian roulette playing it on the halfway line, regardless if it's nine or ten men and regardless of who the team is, yeah? Exactly. Now, another big weekend for referees and VAR. Uh, Arsenal, yeah. I don't know what you think, but I think Arsenal were absolutely robbed against Newcastle and their manager, Mikel Arteta, made that clear. Now, Ange has been praised for his response yesterday to referees and VAR, but where do you sit with VAR? Because, okay, the game stopped a lot yesterday, but every decision that went to VAR, whether it was the penalties, whether it was the red cards, were right. So where do you sit on it? Well, I've always been a fan, and I understand the issues uh, that, that have come about. But I think if you have a look at it, it's pretty much like anything. It's hard to get... I, mean, I think everyone was expecting pretty much perfection. Whether it be the longevity of how, uh, you know, of how long the decision takes, whether it be that some will be getting wrong. I mentioned that Liverpool game against Spurs where they just got it wrong. It, it, you know, Lewis Diaz was onside, and then they, they went with the offside decision, just making a mistake. But... In my opinion, it's still better for the game. And regardless of what I think or what anyone else thinks, it is here to stay. Yeah. Yes, you want to get it 
you know, sort of whittled down so it doesn't take as long. But more important is to get it accurate. Now, in terms of the Arsenal thing, it was a foul, in my opinion. Whether the ball was out or not, it was hard to discern. Okay, uh, whether it was offside or not after Joel Linton sort of jumped in it, but he pushed, mm. completely pushed uh, Gabriel in the back. Arteta's reaction was completely understandable, except when he went a little bit far when he started saying it's like, you know, about the league and sort of associating with the league being embarrassed. The league is, is arguably the top sporting league, let alone football league, in the world. Okay, and it's a wonderful product. So when you go a bit that far, that is too far. And I think when Arsenal backed him up in their statement, their second paragraph sort of took care of that by saying we are playing in the best league with the best fans, the best coaches, the best players. So I think he went a little bit too far. But I understand the rest of his reaction because, you know, it's you. It's, it's his reputation on the line. You just come out of a match. You, you're going to have that reputation. I also thought what Anne said was very good and what he said. But let's not forget, Anne did not have the same situation that Mikel Arteta mm. had. There was no question that Udogi should have been sent off. He was lucky not to be sent off earlier or Romero should have been sent off. So there was no sort of question. So understandable where he's coming from. Um, but uh, Arteta's reaction as well, like I said, with the exception of him taking a little step further, um, you know, when he turned around and tried to associate it with the whole league, I thought that was just a little bit too far. But the, what he said earlier for me was spot on in terms of, you know, it, it was a poor decision and one that I, you know, I look at it and I've even looked at it even now. I still can't understand why the people who watch that, I can understand a referee on the pitch not seeing yeah. it, but not, not the people who watch the replay seeing the, the guy basically shove Gabriel <laughs> in the back. You know, Gabriel's a big boy. Why would, why would he fall over like that? He didn't try to get a foul and all that. There was two hands, not to just two hands to hold him, not heading him, but he was shoved completely in the back without expecting it which should have been called a foul. Yeah, staggering how they can look at that for six minutes and not see that was a foul. We're speaking to Stan Sports commentator Mark Bosnich. We're used to a bit of uh, manager carnage in the EPL, but already in the A-League this year, Rado Vitasic gone from Melbourne City last week. Steve Corica, who's almost Mr. Sydney FC, gone as well. Were you surprised with both of those decisions? More surprised about one or not surprised at all? Uh, no, 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 not really. Um, look, Rado, I feel sorry for because, it, it, you know, he... Um, you know, he did really well. He won the league last season, did win the grand final. But, but a club like Melbourne City losing the grand final six, I was surprised he didn't cop it after that. And then to lose a six, then sort of like two or three games into the season, like, there's no other choice that they're going to make at a big club like that other than you're, you're going to go. Stephen Corrick has done a wonderful job, for, but for a very long time. And not only a long time as a manager, but even being at the club, I think 19 years or something. So, um, you know, I think if things have been different in terms of, you know, the way that where the league's at, I think he would have gone last season. I think he was on the verge of last season. But with all the uncertainty of what's going on, uh, I think they held out to see, uh, uh, you know, to show loyalty, which is understandably uh, completely. But I think after last week's uh, performance, um, I think it was against Brisbane, I think he left them with no other choice. Champions League this morning, Celtic once again. Yeah. Cannon fodder in the Champions League. 6-0 <laughs> loss to Atletico Madrid. I hope Ange wasn't watching that one. But it's a cracking group. AC Milan, PSG, Dortmund and Newcastle. And all of a sudden, Newcastle are bottom of that group. Yeah, they are. I mean, well, it, you know, when the draw came out, we always thought this group, everyone called the group of death. And sometimes the group of death, you know, this one, group F, sometimes they don't quite live up to expectations. But this one is. Um, like you said, we just talked about Newcastle. Um, you know, who, who I thought deserved, if there was any team that deserved to win against Arsenal on the weekend, it was them. Um, but so it just shows, you know, the, the you know, it's so hard to back up, you know, for another big game 
three days later um, in this Champions League. They went down to 2-0 to Dortmund, who Dortmund, who went down on the weekend, 4-0 at home to Bayern Munich. That was an amazing comeback from them. You mentioned Celtic. Uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're really struggling to get the grips with this Champions League football. They haven't won a game in the Champions League since 2017. And the send-off for Maeda didn't help. Uh, but Atletico Madrid were, were absolutely... And Shakhtar Donetsk, the yeah. special word, is haven't played at home for over two years. They beat Barcelona to keep their hopes alive. And the other game in Group F, like we said, the game that we took care of, uh, AC Milan against PSG, AC Milan edging it uh, in what was a fantastic game. It was probably one of the best games that we've uh, we've had the pleasure to telecast on uh, Stan Sports this morning. Um, really end-to-end stuff, especially in the first half. PSG went ahead, then Liao... Uh, equalised uh, for Milan, um, and like I said, and then Giroud uh, got the got the winner on the 50th minute, and then they pretty much, you know, really defended well. But if you have a look, who was the busy, busier goalkeeper? It was Donnarumma, who was in Paris Saint Germain's goal. He was the busier goalkeeper, made some fantastic saves. But like you said, it's really left that group open. So Dortmund are now on seven, PSG six, Milan five, Newcastle four. So the next round of games. Uh, Newcastle will play against PSG and Dortmund will play Milan and then the last games will be uh, Newcastle versus Milan at home which is huge and PSG versus Dortmund so everything to play for in this group there's a few groups that that are like that but there's others that are completely done Manchester City with their win uh, have made sure that them and Leipzig winning against uh, Red Star Belgrade they both have qualified The the only thing to decide now is who's going to be first which Man City playing Leipzig at home, it should be absolutely fine. And uh, at Porto, um, with their win and Shakhtar's win, like I said, they're right in the mix as well. They, they beat Antwerp 2-0. So, and tomorrow morning, uh, our game will be FC Copenhagen against Manchester United. Huge game for Manchester United. Uh, Copenhagen are very, very strong mm-hmm. at home. And that group is very, very close with the exception of Bayern Munich. And the other big game that stands out is Arsenal versus Sevilla as well. Uh, in another group that's very close. So this is the last season, Julian, that um, we're going to have eight groups of four. Yeah. So uh, it's it's really is so far anyway going out of the bank, put it that way. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos as we look to just wrap up the program. But first, here's a quick community update thanks to Firecoat. Be alert and be prepared this bushfire season. Stay up to date on all bushfire warnings online with the Department of Fire and Emergency Services. Visit dfes.wa.gov.au. That's dfes.wa.gov.au. And this community update is thanks to new Fire Coat, the first paint proven to protect property in high-risk fire conditions and available at Bunnings Warehouse. Now for Irrigear. Irrigear is here to save time and water. Naturally, the big story of the day has been what transpired in India last night. And as we mentioned earlier, cricketing greats are saying Glenn Maxwell's stunning 201 against Afghanistan is the greatest one-day international innings of all time. Michael Vaughan said on the BBC, the greatest ODI knock of all time, without any doubt. It's hard to disagree. And of course, when you look at Sachin Tendulkar, he crowned it the best ODI knock he has seen in his life. And he's one of numerous greats that have hailed it as such. Just an incredible performance by Glenn Maxwell. And on the run home with Hayes and Marto today, 
Mike Hussey, who was such an important ODI player for Australia for a long, long time, reacted to the double ton. What an incredible uh, night for Australia. Unbelievable. I, I didn't make it through either. I think I fell asleep not long after Labashame was run out and I thought, oh, we're pretty much cooked here. Um, so, um, yeah, um, unbelievable effort. Uh, and just seeing some of the highlights this morning... Uh, you know, he's obviously doing it tough with cramping and, and, and all that. So, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's hard, it's hard to put into words how good a performance it is. It's probably got to be up there with, the, you know, the greatest uh, innings of all time in one-day cricket. Amazing when they were seven for 91. Mike Hussey also had a look at the Australian team. They've won six on the trot now. Can they go all the way? Yeah, of course. Definitely. In the semifinals, every chance. Um, obviously, India look unbelievable at the moment. But, but will a bit more extra pressure come on to them when they get into the knockout phase? We all hope so. <laughs> they don't look like they, they're, they're feeling much pressure at the moment. They're playing unbelievable cricket. And they look like they're really embracing that home ground, sort of home crowd pressure. They look like they're loving playing in front of their, their fans. So, you know, they're, they're obviously really dangerous. And, and look, South Africa, well, they gave us a pretty good um, beating really earlier on in the tournament. Now, obviously, Australia's playing a lot better now than they were earlier in the tournament. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a classic semi-final. But if Australia can get through that, I think they can give it a real shake, yeah. Yeah, it should be an absolute beauty, the semi-final Australia against South Africa. That uh, sports headlines update, thanks to Irrigear, which offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions. To save time and water, Irrigear is here. And the days are running out, but Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game, Worth over $70,000. Just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12. Well, it's the 8th of November today. So as you can see, days are running out. Get in there and uh, give yourself a chance to win. TNCs do apply. And before I go, don't forget to join the Red Army. As we know, back-to-back uh, -back wins has some back on track, uh, the Perth Wildcats. So join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member. And as we know, they take on the New Zealand Breakers this Friday night. So we wish them the best of luck and let's hope they can make it three from three. That's it for the program tonight. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been dominated by what transpired last night in Mumbai with Glenn Maxwell's 201. Uh, it just is amazing. I still look at the figures and can't believe it. 201 runs... 128 balls, 21 fours, 10 sixes. It was the 11th ODI double century scored by a man in history and 13th overall. Incredibly, of course, Maxwell's the only double century to be scored in the second innings of a match. It is quite incredible. And that'll be talked about for a long, long time to come. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jimmy, and thanks, Brian, for assisting with the program. I look forward to joining you again from five tomorrow. All thanks to Kia's Epic Range, the Kia Sportage Seltos, an EV6 GT, and, of course, Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Back after the run home tomorrow, run home between three and five, sports day from five. See you then.